What's up? I am so thankful for everybody being here today. Thankful that we've got college football behind us. Everybody in the Southeast at least should be happy. Clemson won, South Carolina won, Georgia won, Alabama won. That's about all. And no, and Ohio State won. I mean, I think everybody's pretty much happy with the results of yesterday. Maybe the Washington fans, Washington, you got beat by Auburn, but nobody really cares about Washington football, I guess, except for people living in Washington. They're probably not even watching right now. So anyway, got all that out of the way. Super thankful. Also want to say hey to our crew in LifeSpring that are with us today. Sorry that, about the Vols yesterday. That was just bad. But you guys are rebuilding, right? That's what we've heard about Tennessee. Now, you've been rebuilding for 15 years, but, but you're going to get there, and we believe in Tennessee. And I um, also want to let you know that next week we're starting a brand new series called Haters. And it's going to be really fun. It's not what you think. It's not what you think. It's going to be, I think it's going to be super helpful, um, super practical, and it's stuff that all of us deal with on a consistent basis. Now, today's message is kind of like a, a one-off message. It's a special message I kind of put together um, based on two things. Number one, just some things I've been thinking about. And number two, um, a friend of mine did this several weeks ago, and, and it kind of inspired me to do it too. Okay, let me kind of back up and set it up this way. Every single person here, whether you're in the room or watching online, has, um, you, you've, people have made assumptions about you that, that are not true, or there's things about you that people have not believed. For example, I tell everybody, I've said it from the stage, I've said it on videos, I've posted articles about it. I'm tall, like I'm a tall person. I'm six foot six. However, when people meet me for the first time, they always say, you're tall. Uh, and it's like, I, I know, like I'm not lying about it. I'm not making it up. But I think it's that assumption that people just think, well, he's not really tall. Then they meet me. Oh my gosh, you're tall. And then it comes, did you play basketball? No. Did you play football? No. What'd you do? I was in the band. I mean, that, it's that whole embarrassing conversation because I wasn't coordinated. And there's things about, there's things about you that other people don't know. And it's not because you're trying to keep it a secret. It's, it's just because it doesn't come out in conversation. For example, a couple things about me you might not know. Uh, in the early 1990s, I was in a Christian rap group, and that was embarrassing. But it, and it's so thankful that social media didn't exist back then. We were called New Attitude. Why were we called New Attitude? It was based on some obscure verse we found in the New Testament we thought was cool, and so we called ourselves New Attitude. And we actually did... Um, get paid $500 once for opening for a group, and that's about all the money we ever made. It was awesome. Not really. Um, I'm a sectional eater. Anybody sectional eater? You eat one thing at a time? Yeah, these are the geniuses. Um, like, I'll start with my least favorite thing, and I'll work my way toward the macaroni and cheese, which is always my favorite, Wanda. Um, always my favorite, right? Uh, and here's the thing. Here's the thing that most people don't know about me um, and it, but it's true. I'm an, I'm an extreme introvert. Now I said that recently to a group of people and there was that one lady that, that laughed out loud very awkwardly. And I paused and I was like, ma'am, that wasn't a laughing spot right there. You totally blew that. So, but I'm an introvert. Like, and when I meet somebody for the first time, I'm kind of introverted. I'm kind of shut down. Um, if I walk into a room and it's crowded, I don't know about you, but I, I go to the corner with my back against the wall just because I, I can survey everybody. I'm an introverted pe person. Now, when I say that, people don't believe it. And um, so recently I met, a, I met somebody for the first time 
And after I met this person, they texted me and they said, that's not what I expected at all. Like, what do you mean? Like, well, you were awkward and you didn't talk and you kind of had your head down the whole time. I'm like, yeah, I'm an introvert. And they said, but when you come on stage or when you preach, you just come alive. And I'm like, it's because I worked on the message for like 10, 15, sometimes 20 hours. I'm prepared for this thing. But after I get done preaching, I want to go hide in a room and just kind of listen to some music and chill. And it's not because I'm, it's not because I don't love people. I do love people, just certain people, right? I, I'm, cause I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. So when it comes to when people say, can we meet together and have some coffee? First of all, it, if I drank the coffee that people have offered to buy me, my heart would have exploded by now. So I'm trying to, trying to back down on the coffee. But I usually tell people um, the reason I, you know, I can't meet or you know, busy or whatever is, is because if you met me, I, I'm an awkward conversation just one-on-one. If I don't know you, if I don't know you, I'm an introvert. However... I started thinking, I'm coming up on 30 years in ministry, coming up on 30 years in ministry, and I started thinking about the conversations that I have had, because I do have conversations during the week or on the phone or through email or whatever, and I started thinking about what I would wish for you if I could sit down and have a cup of coffee with you or have lunch with you, dinner with you, or breakfast. I don't actually don't do breakfast. So, so what, 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 what would I say, what, what would I wish for you as your pastor, and every conversation that I've gone through in my mind fits within, fits within these categories, with a, with a few exceptions. But there's five things, I think, that I would wish for you if I could sit down, have coffee or lunch or whatever with you. So here we go. If you're a note taker, you can write these down. Number one, I wish you would take your next step. When it comes to you and your personal journey with Christ, just like with me and my personal journey with Christ, I, I wish for all of us that we would take our next step. Now, when I came to Christ, when I gave my life to Jesus, it was, um, the, it was, the church was phenomenal. It was great. But I accepted Christ in a church that was hyper-focused on religious activity. And so as soon as I became a Christian, it was like, Here's a Bible. You're going to need to read about three chapters of this a day. And here's, um, here's a prayer list. And I was like, well, I don't know how to pray. So they gave me a list on how to pray. They, there was a sheet that taught me how to pray. And it was an acrostic, A-C-T-S. Some of you that are my age, you might remember that. It's a little awkward. Um, and, and these are the activities you need to do. And these are the church activities you go to. And these are the things you got to stop doing. And it became super awkward. And listen, I got so busy becoming a good Christian, I had no time to follow Jesus. And, and that's what we can get pressed into if we're not careful. We can get wrapped up in spiritual activity and, and not experience any maturity. Because as we look in the Bible, the most spiritually active people were the Pharisees. Those were the people that actually killed Jesus. Because when we get immersed in activity apart from intimacy, it always produces pride and arrogance. And so we've got to be real careful when it comes to that stuff. And so people push back and say, Perry, are you saying don't read your Bible? Not saying that at all. Are you saying we don't need to pray? Oh my gosh, no, I, I try to pray at least once or twice a day. You know, I just, you, you pray. Are you saying we don't need to do, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the most spiritual thing that any of us can do is figure out what our next step is and take it. Because that's what Jesus 
I believe, I believe would want us to do. Let's, let's look at his invitation. He walked up to, um, the Bible says in Matthew 4, 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, which is beautiful, by the way, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. This is fascinating. He didn't walk up to Peter and go, Peter, here's the deal. I want you to come. I want you to follow me. There's going to be some tension between us. I'm actually going to rebuke you. I'm actually going to call you Satan at one point. Um, You're going to deny me, and you're going to feel real bad, and at the end of your life, you're going to get crucified upside down. What do you think? You in? Because Peter don't sign that contract. I don't sign that contract, right? But that's what happened. Peter ultimately wound up giving his life for Christ, but but the, the call... The call wasn't, hey, here's all these things I want you to do, Peter. The call was, follow me. Because Jesus knew that if Peter followed him, eventually he would give his life for him. But it didn't start out with a huge list of demands. It was just like, hey, I want you to come follow me. I want you to spend time with me. We've talked about this before, but this one always fascinates me. Matthew, um, the tax collector, which we don't even have a modern equivalent for how morally reprehensible a tax collector was 2,000 years ago. And Jesus walks up to Matthew, and Jesus could have told him, stop it. Jesus could have told him, knock it off. And listen, he would have been right, but he didn't. This is what Jesus said to Matthew. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. So he's watching him in the act of sin. And what does Jesus say to Matthew? Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, listen, we don't know when Matthew stopped collecting taxes. We just know when he started following Jesus. We don't know. A lot of people go, he left everything. Well, the Bible just says he got up and followed him. The Bible didn't say he left his business. That would have been a little irresponsible. We don't know when he stopped collecting taxes. We just know when he took his next step and followed Jesus. Because Jesus knows that if we follow him step by step, eventually we will become who we need to be. And if there's something we need to walk away from, eventually we'll walk away from it because we're following Jesus and he leads us away from things that are destructive and he leads us towards things that are good. Now there's another story I want to bring up because it's really interesting. And the first time I read this story, I thought Jesus was a little savage, um, which he was more savage than most people give him credit for. But I want you to watch what happens in this story. So, so far, we saw Peter take his next step. We saw Andrew take his next step. We saw Matthew take his next step. Here's another guy he said, follow me too. He saw another man. Follow me. That's his call. That's what he wants us to do. Follow me. Um, But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, the first time I read that, I was like, oh, dang. He just wants to go to his dad's funeral. But in the cultural context, that's not what's going on here. The guy's dad wasn't dead. In this culture, you, when, when your dad died, that's when you got the inheritance. And so what this guy was saying is like, I got some money coming my way. I got some land coming my way. I got some stuff coming my way. And so... right now is not the most convenient time for me to take my next step. So um, I'm going to wait till my dad dies. And after my dad dies, I'm going to bury him. And then I'm going to circle back around. And 
it, so Jesus was saying, follow me, that's your next step. The guy had an excuse as to why he couldn't take his next step. Now, Jesus called Peter, he took his next step. He called Andrew, he took his next step. He called Matthew, he took his next step. What was this guy's name? Nobody knows. And it's not because he was evil, and it's not because he was bad, and it's not, not because he had all this sin. It's simply because he decided life is good right where I am. Now, this is the question that people ask me all the time. What is my next step? I don't know. I have no idea. But here's what I do know. God wants you to know your next step more than you want to know it. Most people already intuitively know their next step. They just, like for example, people have asked me, what is your next step? I'm in the middle of it right now. Starting Second Chance Church was my next step. And I'm right in the middle of it. Because I had somebody ask me, do you really want to do this again? Do you really want to jump back into church world and deal with Christians? And, deal with, and I was like, no. And they said, why are you doing it? It's very simple. I'm called. I can't, get, I can't think of anything else. If I promise you, if I could have think, thought of anything else, I would have done it. But at the end of the day, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, telling you, if you know what your next step is, to take that next step because it is, it, listen, one of the things I wrote in the first book I ever wrote, Unleash, is how can God trust us with what is next if we won't be obedient with what we've got now in front of us? So that next step is so essential, and I don't know what it is, and I'm not going to offer suggestions because if I start throwing stuff out, you're going to go, oh, that's mine. Oh, that's mine. No, no, no. You get along with God and ask him what your next step is. and Take it. Take it. Because that's, that, that's the essential. And anyway, okay, number two, number two, number two, number two. If you have fallen, I wish you would get back up. It's amazing to me. The number of, like, <laughs> I should just say this. I've had so many people reach out to me lately, and they're like, hey, you're really screwed up. I feel like I can identify with you, which is kind of a compliment, but kind of not. But, but I understand. I understand. And I was, sometimes God just blesses me with stuff. I get to, get to see stuff, and I think he knows I'm neat illustrations. So the other day, I was watching this guy, and he was walking and texting. And did you know that walking and texting is just as dangerous sometimes as driving and texting? And I wish I would have recorded this because I would have shown it, but I just didn't. I didn't have, because I didn't expect to see this. He's walking and texting, and I could see that he was approaching a tree. Now, I had two thoughts. Number one, I should yell and warn him, but I thought he probably knows he's coming up on the tree. And number two, I thought, if I yell and warn him, I might not get to see him hit the tree. I did. It's a, it's a <laughs> true story. So when I tell you he didn't just walk into the tree, but he became one with the tree. I'm not a Buddhist, but I'm just telling you, he became one with this tree. It was unbelievable. And it took him like 10 seconds to get untangled from the tree. And then he, he like, as he was getting untangled, he falls down, his phone slides away, and he just laid there for like three seconds. And I'm like, he might be dead because he walked into this tree. But a few minutes later, he kind of sat up, shook his head, Walked over and laughed at himself, which made me feel so good because he's laughing at himself. And he picked up his phone and he looked down and he kept te texting and walking. But I just thought, man, that's what we're supposed to do. All of us are going to fall at some point. But all of us are going to fall down. And when we fall down, if, if you fall, it, shame and regret keep too many people 
away from what Jesus has ultimately called us to do. Because the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, this is my go-to verse a lot. For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Now, <laughs> when I first became a Christian in the environment that I learned in, we were basically taught that the righteous didn't fall. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, though the righteous fall seven times. Now, if I see somebody fall once, that's one thing. If I see somebody fall seven times, that's a problem. But the number seven in the Bible is the, is the number of completion. So what Scripture is saying is, hey, even if you completely fall, the sign of a righteous person is they'll rise again. So the thing I would tell you is that God knows. God knows about the addiction. God knows about the abortion. God knows about the problems. God knows about the issues. God knows, and instead of sitting in shame, the Bible says the righteous person gets back, gets back up. So if you've fallen, I get it. I understand. Get back up and keep moving. The third thing I would say, the third thing I would say, is I wish you could be a part of someone giving their life Christ. It is absolutely, hands down, one of the coolest things in the world to experience. Now, the first guy, I remember the first guy I ever led to Jesus, his name was Gaines. And he was a homeless person on the streets of Washington, D.C. Now, I'll tell you how this, and you're like, how in the world did that happen? Well, the church I was a part of, we went on a mission trip. And part of the mission trip, <laughs> some of you, if, if you're a millennial, you're going to have a hard time connecting with this, but if you're older, you'll get this. Part of the mission trip was we would go to a city, um, and they would give us these things called tracks. T-R-A-C-T-S, tracks. And we would walk around and basically annoy people until they gave their life to Christ. And so we'd walk up, and somebody would be looking at the Washington Monument, and we would have to come up with a conversation. Hey, what are you doing? I'm just looking at the Washington Monument. You know, it it points up, and there's a place called heaven, and I'd like to talk to you about I mean, just, you just kind of come up with stuff, right? <clears throat> Some of you like, you did that way too easy. I know, because it was programmed into me. And so I had these tracks in Washington, D.C., and I walked around all day and got shot down all day long. It was like dating in middle school. I just, I just did not hear a yes. And so finally, I'm getting ready to give up for the day, and I look over on a bench, and there's a guy, and he's homeless. And God spoke to my heart and said, go speak to him. And I was like, no, you go talk to him. And, he's, and, and finally, finally, the Lord really worked on my heart. And I went over and I sat down with him and I uh, asked him what his name was. And he said, my name's Gaines. And I said, Gaines, you know, how are you doing? He's like, well, I'm homeless. I was like, oh, and man, that must be tough. And he said, it is. And I said, how'd you wind up this? Like, how did it happen? And we began to talk and Surely, I didn't know what to do next. I just did what I was programmed to do. So I pulled out that little track, and I read through it with him. At the end of it, I asked him, did he want to receive Christ? And he said, man, that's exactly what I need. And I led him to Christ, and I'm telling you, it was so unbelievable. It was like one of the greatest experience. I, I still remember the guy's name, and it was in 1990. And I've had people go, did you get his address and follow up with him? He, he, was, he was homeless. That, so no, I'll see him in heaven, okay? Um, so, so after that, I became like the, the witnessing machine. I love to tell people about Jesus. Like once I knew him, once I got past that whole introverted thing, there was a guy named Wayne. 
when I went to Anderson College. Now, I know it's Anderson University now, but my degree, the one that I paid over $40,000 for, says Anderson College. So if you want to give me a new degree that says Anderson University, I'll be glad to call it Anderson University. But I went to Anderson College, and I was in the weight cage. We had, a, we had a cage with weights in it. That's why we called it the weight cage. I was working out with a guy named Wayne, and Wayne was like a philosophy student, and he's kind of smart. He, he, was, an, he was an adult student, meaning he had actually uh, graduated high school, done some military service, done some other stuff for about 10 years, and then came back to school. And so we're kind of talking, and he knows I'm a Christian. He's kind of attacking Christianity a little bit. We have about an hour-long conversation. Wayne winds up giving his life to Christ at the end of the conversation. And then he asked me, he said, what, what do I do now? And I was like, well, Wayne, uh, you, you probably need to go to church. And he was like, I, I want my wife to receive Christ. I want all three of my kids to receive Christ. And I was like, well, yeah, just you, we need to get you in church. And he goes, where do you go to church? And I was like, Wayne, you don't, you don't want to come to my church, man. I'm, I work at a church in Pickens. And it was a great church, but it was just a small country church, and it's like an hour away from Anderson. I was like, you don't want to come there. He goes, no, I'm coming. I'm coming Sunday morning. He's intense. I'm like, okay, man. Um, and so I was kind of excited about Wayne coming, and I taught Sunday school that morning. I walked out into the sanctuary, and sure enough, there was Wayne, his wife, and his three kids. But there's a problem. Wayne was Hispanic. Not a lot of Hispanics in Pickens at the time. He kind of got some weird looks, and he knew he was getting weird looks. And I knew he was getting weird looks. So I came back, and I said, you know, how you doing? He goes, it's kind of weird to be here. I was like, yeah, sorry about that. Just crazy white people, you know, and we kind of had a conversation. It could not have been a worse Sunday for Wayne to be there. A couple things, you know, the girl that sang, oh, dear God, it was horrible. And then my pastor was really mad at Bill Clinton that weekend. It was in the 90s, and, um, and Wayne was a Democrat. And, 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 so, like it, it, and afterwards, I just walked up to him, and the first words out of my mouth were, I'm, I'm sorry. He was like, yeah. And him and his family just got, and, they, and that's the day, that's the day, that's the day that God spoke to my heart and said, you one day are going to create a church with an environment where Anybody can walk in the door. Republican, Democrat, Hispanic, black, white, that doesn't matter. That's the day. Because a lot of people don't, you're just never going to walk up to a random stranger and go, if you died right now, do you know where you'd spend a turn? Because that's a weird way to start a conversation. But what if you can invite them to a place where, where the, listen, the only thing that offended them was the cross and not the person wearing one. And they could hear the message of Jesus and be changed. And you know what? We, we have the ability to do that through technology. Jesus said this in Mark 16, 15. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. One of the things I love about this verse is the d disciples had no idea. Because if they wanted to go to the whole world, they had to get on a boat and sail and walk and stuff. Today, we can talk to people all over the planet with a text. And seeing, the, seeing technology being used to actually advance the kingdom is an unbelievable, un, unbelievable privilege. So at the end of the day, LifeSpring, I know you guys have the same heart. Second Chance has the same heart to create an environment where anybody can walk in the door.
anybody can walk in the door. And just hopefully over time, meet Jesus, have a life-changing right. And I'm telling you, if you invite that person and you see that person meet Christ and you see them change, it's one of the greatest things on this planet to experience because it goes beyond this planet. Number four. Number four. I wish you would feel safe enough to be honest about where you are. I wish you would feel safe enough to be honest about where you are. Now, I'm, a, I'm a man, and all men have a couple things in common. Number one, when we're driving and we're lost, we won't admit it. If you do admit it, I question your manhood. Number two, when we are lost and we won't admit that we're lost, we drive faster. Because we figure if we drive faster, eventually we will drive out of our lostness. I remember I got lost in Charleston once, driving around, and when I finally pulled over to a gas station um, and told the guy where I was trying to get, he was like, oh, you way off course. And I was like, yeah, just don't tell anybody about this. It was embarrassing because I just kept driving faster because I was so lost. And it's the same thing in church world. I heard a pastor that I really respect say this the other day. And when he said it, I agreed with it, but I felt like it wasn't a complete thought. And this was it. This, this, was, this is what he said. He said, church folk, so you know he's older because we don't really say folk today. He said, church folk are the people that are least likely to admit they have a problem. And he just kept going. But I was on the treadmill listening to the, listening to the message, and I was like, but you complete the sentence. Because it's kind of true, or it's kind of, that, that statement's true. Church folk are the least likely folk to admit they have a problem. The reason why is because they've seen what happens to church folk that admit they have a problem. Can we be honest enough about that? Church folk won't admit they got a problem because they saw what happened to the last guy that said he had a problem. They saw what happened to the last guy that said he had a, an issue, the last woman that said she had an issue. They just disappeared. Like nobody, know, like the FBI couldn't find these people. They just disappeared. And so because of that, in church culture, we feel like we've got to put on this front, even if we're falling apart on the inside and pretend that everything's okay because we don't, we, we don't want to admit we've got a problem. But listen, you can't get well until you admit you're sick. Take it from, I'm, this is my world, I know. I know it from what I've seen and from what I've experienced. There's a, there's a story, and this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And the reason it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible is because when I was um, just starting to preach, um, social media and YouTube and stuff didn't exist, so you could literally have one message and just preach it 10 different times at 10 different churches, and it worked, and you can't really do that today. But I... This passage right here, I preached the hound out of this passage right here. I love this passage right here. It's about a guy named Bartimaeus. And I love this. The Bible says, they, then they came to Jericho, which is, that's a whole message in and of itself because Jericho was a cursed city. So you got Jesus not afraid to walk towards what is cursed. And there's a whole nother series, a whole nother time. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, so Bartimaeus was blind. He couldn't see. Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. 
when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, I love this. I love this. I love this. Don't miss this. Bartimaeus was blind. He couldn't see. But you know what he had? He had ears and he had a mouth. So instead of complaining about what he didn't have, he used what he had to get closer to Jesus. I can't see him, but I can hear about him, and I can speak to him. And so instead of making excuses, he made an effort. People that make excuses never make effort, period. I love it. And that's the whole, like I said, I preach this a lot. Um, many rebuked him and told him to be quiet because the religious crowd will try to shut you down if you're trying to get better. Think about that one for a while. But he shouted all the more. They tried to shut him down, but it, he got louder. Now, just think about this. What if, what if he would have listened to them? He would have spent the rest of his life blind just to be accepted. It's a pretty high pri price to pay just for acceptance. He shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. See how quickly the crowd changes? Shut up. Go for it. It's like the bipolar crowd, right? Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked, which would seem to be an awkward question. Jesus, there's a blind guy standing in front of you. You're really going to ask him what he wants? But sometimes Jesus will ask us that question. Watch what he says. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. He didn't say, I'm having some issues with my sight. I'm having some vision problems. I need a new cane to help me navigate my way through the streets. Do you have a little money to help me get through the day? He could have asked for all those things. But he, asked, he said, listen, I've got a problem. I am blind and I want to see. And the Bible says, Jesus said, your faith is healed. You immediately received the sight and followed Jesus along the road. He got well because he was willing to admit he was blind. We can't get right with God until we're willing to admit what's wrong. And I just wish, I just wish that there was a place, and that's one of the reasons we're creating Second Chance. I just want there to be a place where you can walk in and where people can ask you, how are you doing today? And you can go, my life sucks right now. And we don't automatically send you to get the demons cast out of you. We sit down and go, you know what? Mine too. Let's talk about that over, over some co coffee. That's what we'll serve. There's no other beverages. All right, there we go. Number five, number five, number five. And I want you to listen to me on this one because this is, this is huge. This is huge. And we're going to circle back around to number one in just a second. Number five, I wish you would understand I am not perfect. Now, I've said this for years. But I, I really want you to get this. Because at the end of the day, and I don't know if you're like this, I hate disappointing people. Like, I hate telling people no. Like, sometimes you just got to tell people no, but I hate that. And, and, I, and I, I've had so many conversations where somebody sees me out in public, and they're like, hey, I know you work out a lot. What, what music's on your workout playlist? And I'm, I'm like, oh, God, this is going to go so bad because I don't, I don't have, I, like, do you listen to Hillsong when you work out? No. No, not really. Not, I listen to Eminem and ACDC and Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses. Oh my gosh, that's not Christian music. And then we have to get the whole thing that Jesus didn't die for music. And, then, and it just gets awkward. Or when somebody goes, hey, what's your favorite movie? 
And, and I, I just start talking about movies where people get killed a lot, like Braveheart and Gladiator. What about Passion of the Christ? I'm just going to be honest with you. I didn't enjoy that movie. I'm, I'm thankful for what Jesus did, but I've watched that movie one time. I will not watch it again. That's a hard movie to watch. Everybody goes, it's my favorite movie. I'm like, you're jacked up. All right? I'm, I, I am not perfect. I am not perfect. Google my name. You can figure it out real quick. I am not perfect, and I've never claimed to be. And the reason I'm saying this is, is this. If you're looking for a church that has a morally superior pastor, I'm not your guy. I struggle just like everybody. The other day, I'm driving down the road, and a car pulled out in front of me, and I hit the brakes, and as I hit the brakes, something flew out of my mouth that I'm not going to say because I'm trying to make this as PG as possible, but it was not praise the Lord, and it was not praise Jesus. It just flew out, and as soon as it came out, I was like, the bottle says out of the overload of the heart, the mouth speaks, and that's in my heart, and oh my gosh, I've got some problems. So, so that's the, you got the pastor that cusses in traffic sometimes. I don't have everything together, but I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, every single day when I wake up, my goal is to simply take my next step. The Apostle Paul, and listen, I am, I'm not in the Apostle Paul's, like, territory. The Apostle Paul is like, like Alabama football, okay, and I'm like JV team. If Alabama plays a JV team, there's just dead middle school boys everywhere all over the field at the end of the game, okay? Now, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, they would take his clothes and just touch sick people with them, and they'd get well. If you take this and you touch a sick, it's going to stink. So, so, so I'm not even in his category. And the reason I bring that up is this is what the Apostle Paul said about himself. He said this, not that I have already obtained all this. He's like, I, I, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not where I need to be. By the way, if the Apostle Paul said that, then he's not where he needs to be, then neither am I, neither are any of us. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul said, I press on. And the, the guarantee I'll make you, I will never, ever, ever be morally superior. But every day when I wake up, I'll give it my best shot. So the circle circles back around to this. What about you? What kind of shot are you going to give it today? What, what's your next step in your walk with Christ? What is your next step? For some people, it might be to receive Christ. Others I'm not going to throw out suggestions because I believe that most of us already know it's just acting on what we know that takes us to the next place in our journey with Jesus. Those are the five things. If we had coffee, I would tell you, I wish for you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today, for the privilege of being able to have church and people from all over the world, literally, um, experience community online. Father, I pray for all of us, Jesus, that maybe need to take our next step, need to admit that something's wrong. We have a friend or a family member that we want them to see come to Christ. We, we've fallen down and we just need to get back up. God, I don't know what you spoke today, but I'm asking that right now, you would lead us, and 
with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you right now, where you, wherever you are, to ask Jesus, what is my next step? And listen to his voice. And maybe you're here and your next step is to actually accept Jesus into your life. To ask him to come in. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life and you're like, well, I'm not a good person. Nobody was ever good when Jesus called him. And, and, and guess what? It's, it's Jesus that makes us good. It's not our moral behavior that makes us good. So wherever you are today, if you want to pray to receive Jesus, right where you sit, if you know this is your next step, to commit your life to Christ. I just want you to pray in your heart right now, Jesus Christ, I give my life to you. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sin. I accept that payment. Show me how to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you. If you just prayed to receive Christ online, if you're on the Second Chance website, if you'll just indicate by a raised hand, you can just hit the hand raise button. If you're on Facebook, if you'll just give us a hand raise emoji. And if you're at LifeSpring, um, they, they're going to be coming up. Um, somebody's going to come up at the end and tell you what you need to do if you pray to receive Christ today. We're going to be super excited. And listen, listen, let me just, let me just say this before um, I get to a building update. Whatever your next step is, you can take it. You can take it. Jesus has, equipped, Jesus has not called you to take a step that he has not equipped you to take. If he's called you to it, he will see you through it. So whatever that next step is, it, it's, it's not always easy, but it's always right. Speaking of the next steps, I want to say thank you to the people that have been giving to the building fund, the 250K fund. I told you guys we're going to have to raise 250000 to get in the building. This week, we're going to celebrate that we've gone over halfway $131,064.26. So for those of you giving to the 250K fund and for those of you giving regularly to Second Chance, thank you so much. This, this, we, don't even have a, we don't even have a physical campus. This is an online campus, and this is what God is doing. So for those of you that are giving, um, whether it's, uh, there's, I, there's one girl that she gives between $5 and $10 a night every day. And I think she's probably a waitress or whatever. I'm not going to mention her name, but every time I see that, I'm just like, I just celebrate it with all my heart. And if you want to give, a, give to help us get into the building, it looks like, if giving continues like this, it looks like the first weekend in November, you don't have to check, that is a Clemson home game. Um, it looks like the first weekend in November. Also, the reason I like that weekend is because it's when we fall back. So we all get an extra hour. So if Clemson wins and we get an extra hour of sleep, the worship will just be incredible that morning. Um, if you want to donate, you can go to mysecondchancechurch.com. Mysecondchancechurch.com is in the upper right-hand corner. Or you can go to Second Chance Church. And there's, there's our physical address you can mail um, a check-in. For those of you that don't know what checks are, ask, just Google it. Um, but you can mail a check-in there and it, to participate. And next week, we'll have another opportunity. Next week, we're starting the series, Haters. And I can't wait to dive into that. You guys have a good week. God bless. The best is yet to come.